Accounting for almost a quarter of the total population of the country, Mexico City has some of the worst air pollution in the world. But with today's booming green science market, there's an opportunity for the city to clean up its act. In fact, some say there's potential for Mexico to act as a global leader in renewable energy and green technology innovations. Up next, we look at some of the inefficiencies and potentially green solutions for Mexico City and Mexico the country. Welcome to part two of the 2008 Science and Innovation Week podcast series. Warming of the climate system is unequivocal. In other words, there's really no scientific basis for doubting the process of climate change which is on and which has been on for quite a few decades. And we really should set that controversy to rest. There's no scientific basis, at least, to doubt the reality of climate change. And if we look at these observations, which go back right to the beginning of industrialization, you would see in the average surface temperature, there have been ups and downs, as one would expect, and this is essentially the result of both natural-induced climate change and human-induced climate change. The climate has been varying for natural reasons as well over a period of time, quite apart from human factors which are now really causing a serious problem. During the 20th century, the average warming of temperature across the globe was about 0.74 degrees Celsius. This may not appear like a great deal, but as I'll explain, quite apart from temperature increases, we also have accompanying this process of climate change a whole range of other changes which cause major disruption in a steady, predictable climate system. That's Ranjendra Pachure. He shared the 2007 Nobel Peace Prize with Al Gore and chairs the International Panel on Climate Change. He shared the results from the fourth assessment report of the IPCC at the conference in September. Basically, we're looking at a warming planet stocked with renewable resources, but it's the unrenewable resources, like oil, that we're relying on. Paul Wade is a senior policy analyst at the International Energy Agency. Here he discusses the complex interaction between economics, energy production and use, and the environment. We're in a world where energy demand has been growing around about 3% per annum. Supplies have been struggling to keep pace with that. So in the case of oil, for example, we've seen a considerable tightening of the market in recent years. And uh, that's led to this very dramatic rise in the price of oil internationally. And obviously higher prices will tend to damp down demand. So it's a self-regulating factor to some degree. And it also creates opportunities for alternatives to come into the marketplace when that occurs. But associated with this is also the environmental impacts of energy, of course. The problem that we're facing today is climate change, and energy is the primary source of CO2 emissions and of climate change, uh, anthropogenic climate change impacts. And at the moment, the trends are rising quite sharply, almost linearly, year on year with CO2 emissions. Unless we modify how we're using energy, how we're supplying energy, and the kind of technologies we're using, and our behavior, with respect to energy, then we really face some serious problems in, in the longer term. Vehicles in Mexico City are responsible for around 81% of the nitrogen oxides and about 46% of the volatile organic compounds in the Mexico City atmosphere. There's approximately one taxi for every 100 residents in Mexico City. The number in New York City, the iconic yellow taxi city, is about one for every 600 people. Greening up transportation, says Wade, would be one way for Mexico City to clean up its air and improve energy efficiency. 
Of course, you can put in place measures which reduce reliance on private vehicles. So, of course, you can build the transport infrastructure, bus mass transit systems, for example, rapid transit systems, mass transit networks, which if you look at the cities in the world which actually have extremely advanced public transport systems, they benefit enormously from that compared to those that don't. And you contrast energy consumption for transport per capita of a city like Tokyo, which has a tremendously advanced uh, public transport network, compared with those which don't, and pure economies, of which there are many examples, and they're very very, very different. So cities fundamentally can plan for this kind of infrastructure and they can start to roll it out progressively and manage transport demand in that form. They can of course create incentives for people to share vehicles and to do other options, you know, cycling, walking, other mode shifting. Like the program which limits the days the drivers in Mexico City can use their cars based on the last number of their license plate. But though the program has been ongoing for almost 20 years, recent studies have shown almost no reduction in emissions in the city. The reason? People in Mexico City just bought more cars. Brandon Hall is a senior partner with Foster & Partners, a London-based architecture firm. He says it's not about a quick fix. Now is the time for a paradigm shift in the way we look at things. You know, maybe the credit crunch and the events of the other week have made people sort of start to think in a different way about the world. And certainly the sense of this is the time for change and to grasp it now that perhaps the old models are no longer relevant and new models have to be thought about and brought to the fore. The gas-guzzling American model, if you like, that has to be questioned. Haw has designed some of the greenest, most energy-efficient buildings in the world and says there isn't another practical alternative to building green. Every project we look at from a sustainable point of view and it doesn't really matter whether it's full of active systems or whether it's approached from a more passive approach, you know, just in terms of basic sunshading or orientation or the shape of the building. Wade agrees with Ha and says that building green is cheaper and easier than most people assume. Most energy is used in buildings, over 40% is used in the building sector. And in a city like this with a huge building stock, there's tremendous opportunity to improve the efficiency both of the fabric of the buildings, so here there will be significant air conditioning and heating demand, I imagine, because it's relatively high altitude. It's just improving insulation in buildings, using high quality glazing, maximizing the use of daylight so you don't need so much artificial light improving natural ventilation, lowering the albedo of the building surface so that it reflects more light um, and therefore absorbs less heat. There's a tremendous number of measures which can be done very cost-effectively on building stock and in fact today it's perfectly possible to design zero net energy buildings of which they're using 20% of the energy requirement of a traditional building but the remaining part provided by say renewable or autonomous sources of energy which supply the building. Renewable sources like sun, for instance. Juan Luis Peña is a researcher at the Research and Advanced Studies Center of the National Polytechnic Institute of Mexico. He gave a presentation focused on photovoltaic panels with one pretty impressive calculation. Take the total area of Mexico City and assume that only 30% of the roof space in Mexico City is suitable to house thin photovoltaic panels. Based on 2003 consumption levels, 20% of the total energy that Mexico City currently consumes could be saved just by re-roofing with solar cells and using the energy from them. Dixon de Pommier, a professor of public health and environmental sciences at Columbia University in New York, has another idea. Save space, cut down on fossil fuel emissions, and get fresher food by farming up, not out. So I call it the vertical farm 
because it arises from tall buildings. And in a sense, I can simplify this very easily for you by telling you that we already know how to do all of this, except we do it in one-story buildings, and it's called a greenhouse agriculture. It's a, a tremendously increasing field of interest. There are a lot of profit centers throughout the world that employ greenhouse agricultural technologies to produce increasingly amounts of food that you wouldn't guess could be produced indoors. Rice, wheat, corn, etc. De Pommier is the founder and director of the Vertical Farm Project. His hope is that eventually, modified skyscrapers will house crops that if farmed traditionally, could take up hundreds of acres of land. Not only that, he argues that farming would be more efficient, essentially one big controlled greenhouse conserving heat energy and water. Ideas like the vertical farm are big ones, and they might sound a little futurist. But Ellis Rubinstein, president of the New York Academy of Sciences, says that's exactly the type of market Mexico should buy into. Their problems are so enormous in terms of things like water transportation, uh, sustainable construction, that they have every incentive, even if they weren't going to be the world's leaders, in trying to create a kind of a green tech industry because they could sell it to themselves. Really, they need it anyway, and so that makes a good opportunity. In fact, countries, or parts of countries like rural Mexico, that missed the Industrial Revolution and lacked the technological infrastructure are perfect candidates for inexpensive, sustainable solutions like solar panels, which don't need any access to a central power grid and can provide power on a small scale. Climate change, energy efficiency, and sustainability pose immense challenges around the world. Wade says, however, that he's optimistic that they can be overcome with the right attitudes. If it's government policymakers, I think it's extremely important for them to invest in the process of understanding what they can get from having effective policies in the energy sector, particularly in energy efficiency, but also in looking at this transition to a clean energy future and what's going to be necessary. In the private sector, I think it's really about understanding what you can do which gets immediate benefits or near-term benefits for your company in terms of its bottom line, but also improves its green image. And image is tremendously important now, as we're seeing with companies. And then for households, it's a similar thing. I mean, it's just, I would encourage people to do a little bit of digging around and find out what they can do, just to minimize their own energy impacts and actually be better off economically for it. Coming up next, education is at the heart of the matter, making Mexico City into a knowledge capital from kindergarten to postdocs.